Hi, Pastor Rob here from City East Church and MTL Ministries. This sermon series is called Uncovering Religion. We live in a day where the world is saturated with contradictory faiths and beliefs. Can they all be right? Are they all wrong? As Christians, it is imperative that we understand something of what these religions teach and believe so that we can accurately discern right from wrong. Lord, we just... uh... Thank you for the service so far, Lord. And I just pray right now that you, you anoint me now to deliver this message. Help me to make it really clear, clear as crystal, so everyone here can understand what I'm talking about. And I pray that all of us here will also, that you'll open their minds so that they can understand what the Spirit is saying to us at the moment. So, I, Lord, I hand this message over to you and uh, ask you to do with it as you will. In the name of the blood of Jesus. Okay, so I'm going to talk to you today about what I call the many Christ theory, which is that Christ is a copycat of many other mythological gods and other different uh, men have come before him like Buddha or Krishna. And I'm going to uncover something that, that, that has been getting taught for a while now and that millions and millions of people and many Christians have followed after and believed it to be true and has destroyed the faith of many. Uh, so I think it's important that we do cover this because you will probably get confronted with it. Double thing. We are living in a day which George Orwell described so well, and he called it double think. It means the power of holding two contradictory beliefs in one's mind simultaneously and accepting both of them. Know many people that do that? Hold two contradictory beliefs in their mind and accept both of them? A double-minded man. Yeah. People today want to design their own religion. You heard of postmodernism? That's what postmodernism is all about. Take a little bit of little bit of everything, a little bit of Buddhism, throw in a bit of Hinduism, attach some atheism to that, and blend some occult beliefs in the, into that bit of superstition, and claim at the same time to be a good Christian. The result we have is double-minded people who believe totally contradictory beliefs and don't care in the least whether they are true or not. They don't care whether what they believe is true. They don't care or whether it's, it's meaningful what they believe because that's not the purpose of their beliefs. Their beliefs is to, so that they can feel good about themselves mm-hmm. and so that they can do what they want without guilt. That's why traditional Christianity doesn't suit most people because it gets in the way of having fun mm-hmm. or so they think. They believe whatever makes them feel good. Any sense of guilt or remorse for living corrupt and ungodly lives is just washed away. But not by the blood of Jesus, by their own belief system. Anyone who know who this guy is? Our society has been fed the poison of the father of this modern age, and his name is Alistair Crowley. In his notorious book called The Book of the Law, he wrote, Do what thou wilt will be the whole of the law. Has anyone ever heard that? Most rock bands will have it somewhere on their album covers or in their songs or, you know, just about all all popular artists will sing that type of message. You know, do what you want. Have a good time. Feels good, do it. Heard those type of things? I can go really deep into the implications of this philosophy and I will one day soon do a sermon on Alistair Crowley because he, he is has had so much impact on modern culture, it is unbelievable. He is probably the reason why our culture is like it is today. How sick and demented it is, is due to this one guy. And also another woman called Helena Blavatsky, who was one of Alistair Crowley's idols. She set the scene for Alistair Crowley. He just lapped up her, her work. In today's world, mankind have never had so many contradictory faiths and beliefs. Is that right? We're seeing probably the greatest influx of thought and religion in the history of mankind. With such a great overload of viewpoints and concepts of faith, as Christians, we are pushed to the ropes in our faith. We really are. Christianity is being tested like never before. How many people have you talked to when you tell them that you're a Christian, a true believer of Christ, straight away they want to argue with you? The moment you mention it, I'm a true believer in Jesus Christ and he died on the cross for my sins. They straight away, okay, what about this? What about that? Did you think about this? How do you believe that faith when, you, when this is happening? 
and they'll put all these opposing thoughts at you. And if you're not strong in apologetics, meaning if you're not strong in defending the faith, you can be swayed by people very easily because there's a lot of people out there. I mean, I'm talking a lot who will have a whole arsenal of objections to Christianity and want to bring you down. But you know what the funny thing about all this? Just as, as the world has, is scrutinizing the faith of Christianity like never before, never before has mankind been so gullible. They scrutinize the truth, but they're so gullible and they're conditioned to receive lies like you wouldn't believe. You know, right from young, you know, right from the very first program that a child gets shown, there will be some type of esoteric, occultish influence all the way through. Fairies. They're not real. The kids grow up believing in fairies and then comes wizards and warlocks and witches and, and there's, you know, magic spells and, and then it gets into teenagers. And what do you get into? Vampires and werewolves and blood sacrifices and sex and you name it. And then you get right through up into the, the movies that we all watch. And, you know, we, we watch some absolutely filthy movies. I'm not talking about Father Christmas. He's the bunny. He's the bunny. You know, everything is designed to lead people away from a true faith in Christ and to lead them astray. TV is known by secret government insiders as the most brilliant form of mass mind control and manipulation of culture in history. That's what the TV is. It's a dream. If you were a dictator, this is before TV, you imagine, what would be the best way of manipulating the thoughts of the masses? You've always heard projected images, you know, whenever they try to, you see movies when they manipulate that person's thoughts, you'll see a kid or a person or whatever in a room with images flashing before them and making them think a certain way. And those images will continue nonstop for weeks, months, even years. And that's how they used to do it in the Russian concentration camps. For the Christians, they'll have to sit in a room for up to 14 hours a day and hear Jesus is a lie, Jesus is a lie, repeated, 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 until subconsciously all you hear in your mind and when you go to lie down after that is Jesus is a lie, Jesus is a lie and before you know it you believe that so what's the best way of manipulating the masses TV, mind control it's so subtle and what do they do they mix in entertainment they make it fun, they make it exciting sometimes actually, sometimes you turn on the TV and you know that there's nothing on (laughs) forget it, turn it off so what is remarkable is that in all this information, we are in, as you know, we're in the information age, people just believe and accept concepts without a question. And mainly because if they sit behind a screen and if it's professionally presented with a nice narrator talking with a nice deep voice like Matthew, you know, if it's presented well and all sounds intelligent and logical, people believe it, don't they? Why question it? It's on the TV. It must be true. And you know, in a funny way, whether you know that or not, most of us still think like that. Did you hear about such and such that happened over, you know, East Germany and there's this thing happening there? You know, you believe the way the media portrays the news, so you just accept it. It's just, it's that thing that's conditioning to accept what you see on TV and believe it. So you're probably wondering why I'm bringing this up why I'm talking about this, is because people, if they read it in a book or if they uh, watch it on a, a documentary and it's all well, well presented like the Zeitgeist documentary, people just accept it. They don't question it. They don't say, hey, I'm going to follow up on this and just check, double-check this guy's research. And the reason why they don't do that is because people are generally too busy, aren't they? They're ten- generally too busy to go and find out a little bit more, read an encyclopedia, find out what is the truth about the God Addis. Was he really born of a virgin? Did he really die and get resurrected? Was he crucified? Is that true? Because this is what is being taught these days. But just in relation to TV, did you know this? These figures are alarming. In the United States, that's, that's one hour, two hours. In the United States, average person they found up to eight hours of TV a day. Australia's down here in the lesser ones here with like two and a half. But, you know, I know a lot of people that watch way more than two and a half hours. You know, if you want to get 
If you want to get manipulated in your thought to think a certain way, watch a lot of TV. How many living rooms have you walked in and seen a kid like that? Been in the many households like that and the kids just sitting there watching TV. You know what's funny about that image is there's nothing on the TV. It's just a, just a, a fuzzy. Okay, Proverbs 25.2 says, To search out a matter is the glory of kings. To search it out is the glory of kings. Now, the Bible says that we are all kings and priests of the Most High God. That is every believer is a priest. Every believer is a king. In his kingdom, he's only going to have kings and priests. So to search out a matter is the job for a king. And so really, we shouldn't just accept what, what is presented. We should go and find out the truth. And, it's, you know, with this whole topic I'm about to talk about today, is very easily researched because there is an actual history for each of these so-called gods. There's an actual recorded history for them that the Greeks recorded and the Romans recorded. So if they're telling lies, it's very easy to find it out, isn't it? Because you go and find out, okay, how was he born? Let's find out what the myth, the myth tells us. And you find out the truth. So that's what I've done. 2 Timothy 4.3 says, For a time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. Truth is not what matters today. It's what makes them feel good when, when they hear the message. If someone says something they want to hear, that's what people are after. How many people like to hear things that they don't really want to hear? Put up your hand if you like to be told something you don't want to be told. Do you like being told things you don't want to be told? Do you like being told that if, if you don't believe in Jesus, you're going to go to hell? And you just say you don't believe in Jesus. That person doesn't like to hear that, right? Now, in the old days, a lot of people would find that such a test and a struggle. They would go home and research into it. They'd look into it. Today, you say that and they just say, hey, it's a fairy tale. That whole thing's a fairy tale. It's just like a myth or a legend. But that's not true. But they don't find out the truth. They, don't, they just reject it because it's not what their itching ears want to hear. Sometimes, and you know as parents, sometimes telling a kid off, which is what, not what the kid wants to have happen to them, is to be told off for doing wrong, is the best thing for them, isn't it? Because if you don't tell them off and if you don't put them, set them straight, they can go continue on that path and end up doing the wrong thing in life and end up in jail or something. So a parent's job is to, to tell them things they don't want to hear, but they need to hear. Is that true? Yes. So what happens is any theory, theory that comes along which helps a man to continue to believe the lie that Jesus is not God will be readily accepted. People who don't want to believe in Jesus will accept anything if it runs in line with what they already believe. They won't research it because it'll be enough. Oh, that's, that is my research, they'll think, what these guys are presenting. That's my research. That's all I need to know. So this is where this theory I'll be uncovering today comes from. It comes from men who have deliberately manipulated truth and history in an effort to deceive as many people as possible. And it has been working. You see, these men know that the average person will not investigate to find out the truth of what they present. They know out of two million people that go and watch this movie called Zeitgeist that gets, teaches them that Jesus is not true, out of those two million people, most will believe... And the ones that don't believe or the ones that go and find out the truth, they know that's going to have no effect on those that believe because those people that believe want to believe it and they'll just reject anything to the contrary. Many Christ theory, it's made popular through the zeitgeist, as I said. And the basic theory promulgated is that Osiris, the sun god of Egypt, Krishna, the god of India, Dionysus of Greece, Mithra of Persia and other saviours from all over the world all had the same history as Jesus, the same life events, the same death and resurrection as Jesus. Exactly the same. So what they're saying is that Christianity has plagiarised its belief. Christianity made it up only and, and copycatted all these other beliefs. Hmm. And this is the video, one of the a small segment of the video that they play and that people watch and believe. Broadly speaking, the story of Horus is as follows. 
Horace was born on December 25th of the Virgin Isis Mary. His birth was accompanied by a star in the east, which, in turn, three kings followed to locate and adorn the newborn savior. At the age of 12, he was a prodigal child teacher, and at the age of 30, he was baptized by a figure known as Anup, and thus began his ministry. Horace had 12 disciples he traveled about with, performing miracles such as healing the sick and walking on water. Horace was known by many gestural names such as the Truth, the Light, God's Anointed Son, the Good Shepherd, the Lamb of God, and many others. After being betrayed by Typhon, Horus was crucified, buried for three days, and thus resurrected. These attributes of Horus, whether original or not, seem to permeate many cultures of the world, for many other gods are found to have the same general mythological structure. Attis of Phrygia, born of the Virgin Nana on December 25th, crucified, placed in a tomb, and after three days was resurrected. Krishna of India born of the Virgin Devaki, with a star in the east, signaling his coming. He performed miracles with his disciples, and, upon his death, was resurrected. Dionysus of Greece, born of a virgin on December 25th, was a traveling teacher who performed miracles, such as turning water into wine. He was referred to as the King of Kings, God's only begotten Son, the Alpha and Omega, and many others. And, upon his death, he was resurrected. Mithra of Persia, Born of a virgin on December 25th, he had 12 disciples and performed miracles, and upon his death was buried for three days and thus resurrected. He was also referred to as the Truth, the Light, and many others. Interestingly, the sacred day of worship of Mithra was Sunday. The fact of the matter is, there are numerous saviors from different periods from all over the world which subscribe to these general characteristics. I'm going to stick to the notes fairly strongly now, because so I'll be reading it out. It's mainly because there's a little bit of information, and I don't want to ramble on too much about each thing if I can. That way we get through it. My first response to this presentation was, okay, why have I never heard of this before? But then I thought, well, you know, I could have you know, missed that while I did history class or something. I thought either, one, it's because it's a made-up lie. It's just a lie made up, or two, because we have been deceived and our leaders have held back this information. So spiritual leaders, government leaders have held it all back and not told us the truth. But my immediate response then was, well, if this is true, it would be in the history books simply because our generation hate Christ. So if it's true, we would have been brought up to believe this, wouldn't we? Because generally, government leaders and Freemasons and, and you know, whoever run this world hate Jesus. Jesus says, if they hate me, they'll hate you also. And the world hates me because I testify, you know, that what they do is evil. So if that's true, it would have been a, a common knowledge, wouldn't it? So my conclusion at that time, without any further investigation, was simply, this is just another conspiracy theory against Christianity, and Jesus forewarned us of such theories. But in light of the popularity of this theory, I thought I would in included in the Uncovered Religion series. Firstly, mythological history does not line up with these absurd theories. The actual recorded history of mythology doesn't line up. Nor does the history which we have about Krishna and Buddha, who were supposedly real people. And they were, I think. Uh, Buddha and Buddha was, they know of. And Krishna, they believe, was. Secondly, most of these characters that that we are supposedly copycatted as Christians, were myths and legends, not real people. They were gods. And they were similar to stories today, like stories of Superman and Spider-Man. Heroes that we all looked up to. But in those days, they believed them to be true. You know, like Zeus is this god. But you know what? There's only ever been one god, and he's always been, and his name is God, the great I Am, Elohim. Thirdly, we have more historical evidence, both secular and Christian, for the truth and reality of Jesus Christ and his ministry, his death and his resurrection and his ascension than any other historical character in history. We have backed up evidence that Jesus actually was crucified. Now, if those stories say that these gods were crucified, fair enough. They actually don't, but they, even if they did, fair enough. The fact of the matter is Jesus was crucified, and you know what? Thousands of people were crucified back then. 
It was a common practice in the days of Rome. So why is it such a, a lie now to say that Jesus was crucified? We're not copycatting any, any faith by saying that. Jesus was crucified. Secular history confirm it. Roman history confirm it. Not just biblical history. Lycona said, you can't dismiss the resurrection of Christ unless you can refute its solid core of supporting evidence. So what this guy in this video is trying to do is dismiss Christianity just because he's got one little theory that we're copycatted and plagiarized everything we believe. Now these are the books and videos that have been very popular in, with this theory. Much of this information I'm about to tell you now was drawn from the book The Case for the Real Jesus by Lee Strobel, who interviewed leading scholars of mythology in relation to this very theory. The theory is basically that nothing in Christianity is original, and the view was made popular by the book The Da Vinci Code and in the movie. Christianity is a copycat religion. Tom Harper in his book Pagan Christ said Christianity in its final orthodoxy was simply a reissuing of an ancient wisdom in the literalized and highly exclusivistic form. The result was a kind of plagiarism, but in a badly warped and weakened edition. You know, any everyone know what plagiarism is? Yes. It's just say someone else wrote a book and I go and grab that book and that author dies, but he hasn't published the book, so I say I wrote the book and changed the name and say it's mine now. Mm. It's a, a pretty from a legal standpoint. By saying Christianity is plagiarised is saying that the whole thing is a farce, is a lie from the pit of hell, you know. Timothy Freak and Peter Gandhi in their book The Jesus Mystery said, the story of Jesus and the teaching he gives in the New Testament are prefigured by the myths and teachings of the ancient pagan mysteries. So prefigured meaning the pagan mysteries came first and we copy into it. However, Mettinger, a senior Swedish scholar, admits in his book, The Riddle of Resurrection, that the consensus, this is the consensus, meaning according to all scholars, nearly universally, is that there were no dying and rising gods that preceded Christianity. They all postdated the first century, the actual stories that they were then included. So what a lot of these guys, and I sum the whole thing up, is that Christianity influenced pagan thought, not the other way around. They thought, oh, that whole Christianity thing sounds pretty good. Let's make it out that our gods did had that happen to them. Then it sounds even better now. But only God could have thought up Christianity. Only a true God. But Mettinger took an exception to that universal scholarly conviction and said that there are at least three and possibly as many as five dying and rising gods that predate Christianity. And we're going to talk about those quickly. But there are no actual parallels between these myths and the story of Jesus. And Mettinger combed through all of the accounts and critically analysed them, and none of them serve as parallels. That was his conclusion after looking through, looking at all the evidence, reading all the documentation, going through it. This is a scholar's scholar going through everything that there is to go through in relation to all these gods. Nothing parallels Jesus Christ and what he did for us on the cross and his resurrection and his ascension. And these two guys... These are the guys you can blame for the whole theory. Richard Reinsenstein and Sir James Fraser. I'll just read what I didn't read during that sermon in relation to these two men. The origins and popularising of this theory was promoted by a group of scholars called the Religious Geschichtliche Schule. That is the so-called History of Religion School, which flourished at the end of the 19th and beginning of 20th century. The work was published by Richard Reinsenstein in 1910, but not translated from German until 1978. Sir James Fraser popularised the theory in a work called The Golden Bough, which was published in 1906. However, much of this work was based on misreading of the evidence, but nevertheless, this helped introduce these ideas to popular culture. Albert Schweitzer said that popular writers make the mistake of taking various fragments of information and manufacturing a kind of mystery religion which never actually existed, least of all in Paul's day. Ronald Nash, a highly respected professor and author of over 30 books, lamented that these books and articles about Christianity's plagiarism are repeating claims and arguments that should have been laid to rest decades ago by circulating one-sided and misinformed arguments 
and ignoring the weighty scholarly opinion that has been published to refute these assertions. So I'll present the truth in relation to these gods as presented in the video I showed earlier and then give you a list of books to read for further research. I also went to a website called thedivineevidence.com. Really good website to go and check out. He goes through every god and what this, this guy in Zeitgeist has gone and done is only a very small portion of what they talk about. There's other things that they say similarly to Christ. Heaps more than what he's just presented here. But this guy in um, thedivineevidence.com goes through and refutes everything. But all from drawing from the actual original stories. And uh, I think that's important to see. So I'm just going to quickly go through it. Horus, who's born on December 25th, born of a virgin, star in the east, adorned by three kings, teacher at 12 years old, baptized and a ministry at the age of 30, and he had 12 disciples. However, there was no virgin birth. For Horus, there was two versions, not virgins, versions of the birth. And that was Hathor, the motherly personification of the Milky Way, is said to have conceived Horus, but we are told her husband Ra was an Egyptian sun god. Hathor had a husband Ra. They conceived Horus. Hathor, a sky goddess, was represented by the cow whose milk brought forth the Milky Way. <laughs> By the will of her husband Ra, she gave birth to Horus. Hurrah. By his will. Hip, hip, hurrah. Version 2. When we examine Isis and Horus's mother, we are told Isis was not a virgin, but the widow of Osiris. Isis practices magic to raise Osiris from the dead so she can bear a son that would avenge his death. Isis then becomes pregnant from the sperm of her deceased husband. Again, no virgin birth occurs. Okay. Horus' birth was actually celebrated during the month of Kaoic, which is between October and November. It was never December 25th. Whoever came up with this, these dates and everything just stuck them there. Absolute lie. Star in the East and the Three Kings. Uh, when the stories detailing the birth of Horus are examined, there is no star and three kings who come to visit him. Trying to link this with Christianity fails in any event, as the account of Christ's birth in Matthew was Magi, and Magi are not kings, they're wise men, coming to Jesus with their actual number not being stated. And so what he's saying is in the Bible, it doesn't say three Magi, it just said Magi come. Horus had no ministry. Horus becoming a teacher at age 12, mimicking the account of Jesus at the temple of, as a youth, is nowhere to be found in the accounts of Horus. So there's no account of him as a 12-year-old teacher. Neither are there any statements to the effect that he had 12 disciples. The documentary stated, Horus performed miracles, Lamb of God, the light, that's his titles. He was crucified, he was dead for three days and resurrected. Horus performed miracles. Yes, he did, but all gods performed miracles. That's why they were called gods. That was the whole thing with the mythological legends of miracles. The only thing is, there's no accounts of people witnessing these miracles. It was just all statements that they performed miracles, you know, in their mythological texts. But Jesus had thousands and thousands and thousands of eyewitnesses of his ability to perform miracles, and thousands under his ministry were healed. And that's all historically proven. There was no mention of exercising demons, raising people from the dead, or walking on water. So none of the miracles were the same miracles of what Jesus did. And none of these titles are in Egyptian history, the titles that are similar to the titles that Jesus was given. But you might expect from any god, these are the titles that you would, you would expect. Great God, Chief of the Powers, Master of Heaven, and Avenger of His Father, Horus was not called the Christ because this word in Egyptian means burial. It wasn't a title at all. No accounts of Horus being betrayed are found in his portrayals, and he certainly did not die by crucifixion. No accounts mention that Horus died or was resurrected. There are many other claims, but all claims taken from the life, death, and resurrection, and none are found in ancient Egyptian writings on the god Horus. So everything that was stated there, except for the miracles part, but the miracles weren't the same as what Jesus did anyway. Mm. That's from a scholar who's gone and researched it from the text. Addis was born of a virgin, born on 25th of December, crucified. Do you know Jesus wasn't even born on 25th of December? Yeah, because he was born in the winter. 
or in the in the spring or something. But it wasn't on the tw the reason why we all celebrate December twenty fifth is Emperor Constantine when became when Rome became a Christian nation um, instituted the twenty fifth of December from that point on. I still celebrate the birth of Jesus. Then I celebrate the birth of Jesus every day, but I celebrate it then because it's. A day we all acknowledge Christ. And I, any day where everyone acknowledges Christ is a day I want to celebrate, you know, because he's my Lord. Let's celebrate it. That's the way I think about it anyway. The true account of Abbas tells us he was actually born from an almond seed. According, <laughs> according to the legend, Agdistus, a hermaphroditic monster, arises from the earth as a descendant of Zeus. Agdistus gives birth to the Sangarius River, which brings forth the nymph Nana, who either holds an almond to her breast and becomes impregnated by the almond, or sits beneath a tree where an almond falls into her lap and impregnates her. Nana later abandons the child, who is raised by a goat. We are left to assume Addis was conceived from an almond seed, which fell from a tree as a result of Zeus's spilled semen. In relation to the 25th of December, there is no mention of this date having any relation to Addis. He is associated with the annual return of spring. He, he died, I'll read this one, Addis castrates himself. Addis castrates himself beneath a pine tree after he is made to go insane before his wedding to Agdistus, when the he-she becomes enamored with him. Crazy, crazy myths. The he-she. Imagine marrying a he-she. No, thank you. <laughs> You're a little bit masculine today, darling. Yes. <laughs> Your voice is broken. <laughs> Where did that have the map or wasn't there last night? <laughs> Sorry. Rob, what he... He didn't want to marry her, so the whole thing, and then he became a tree. Yeah, but he got... He went, in, he, he went insane and he castrated himself. His blood, his blood flows onto the ground from his severed organ and brings forth a patch of violets. Critics, get this, this is how the association comes. Critics try to associate Addis' death beneath a tree with Jesus' death on a tree. Okay. They also try to connect Jesus' blood pouring from his wounds with Addis' blood flowing caused by his auto-castration. But there was no resurrection. In one version, Agdistis is overcome with remorse from her actions and requests Zeus to preserve the beautiful corpse of Attis so it never decomposes. No resurrection occurs for Attis. In another account, Agdistis and the great mother, or Cybele, carry the pine tree back to a cave where they both mourn the death of Attis. Again, no resurrection. The resurrection doesn't, story doesn't surface until much later when Attis is transformed into a pine tree. Okay, so you can see how they grab all this stuff, twist it whichever way they want, all because they're antichrists. The only reason they'll try to make this parallel is to debunk Christianity. But there's no parallel. They create a parallel. It's the equivalent of the evolutionists who found a part of a jawbone and they said, this is an ape man. You know, one of our descendants, one of the evolutionary links, they find a part of a jawbone and a thigh bone or something like that, and then they go and get a plaster cast and create the ape man. But the fact of the matter is they didn't have all that. All they had was the jaw piece of probably a big, giant bloke who used to cut down trees with a big jaw. And they shoved it there and said, he's an ape. I've seen humans that sort of look a bit... Yeah. <laughs> a bit hairy. I've seen Greeks take their shirts off. <laughs> it's like, ah, evolutionary link. <laughs> there is never a mention of the, any parallel. No, it's a, it's a man-manipulated theory. And they know the nature of the beast now. If you put it on TV and you say this is how it is, people will believe it. Yeah. 90, if 90% believe or 80% believe, they know that they're going to be even more convinced of that than, and the 20% who try to refute it will have no chance of convincing the 80% that do. So they don't care if there's 20% who mm -hmm. refute it. All that does is create more 
is a bigger promotion for them for the, the movie to get in more people's hands. Rob, about six months ago, that actually happened to me because uh, uh, my nephew uh, comes up to me and goes, oh, I don't know if I believe uh, this God stuff anymore and blah, blah, blah. He goes, I don't know what to believe. I said, well, what's that? He goes, oh, have you seen that Who on the zeitgeist? You know, and mm-hmm. explain a few things. And I said, I said that's all rubbish, you know. And, uh, yeah. You need to go and get the actual accounts and read them to them. But the this thing is, if you went to do that, they'll say, yep, taken off now, see you later. Yeah. Haven't got time to hang around for this. Yeah. But then I'll bombarded him with all, you know, the emails that... Oh, good. <laughs> yeah, good, good. There is Zeitgeist Refuted. There's a, a movie. Refuted, yeah. A guy, for it's as nearly as long as the Zeitgeist movie itself, or probably longer, and he refutes everything that is stated. But there's also Krishna. Krishna was born of a virgin, star in the east, performed miracles, resurrected. A virgin birth is never attributed to Krishna as his parents bore seven previous children. Had seven children before Krishna was born. No mention of shepherds or wise men appears at Krishna's birth. Krishna was born in a prison. Not a stable, as critics suggest. There was no crucifixion. Though critics claim Krishna was crucified, this is mentioned nowhere within the Hindu text. Instead, we are told exactly how he dies. Krishna is meditating in the woods when he's accidentally shot in the foot by a hunter's arrow. Skeptics try to stretch this one by claiming the arrow that shot Krishna impaled him to a tree and crucified him by his foot. That's ridiculous. They also point out the similarity between his wound being in the foot and Jesus' pierced hands and feet. However, if I was carving my initials into a tree and accidentally impaled my wrist, the idea of saying I was crucified would be absurd, wouldn't it? That's ridiculous. Uh, Although critics claim Krishna descended into the grave for three days and appeared to many witnesses, no evidence of this exists uh, whatsoever. Instead, the actual account says Krishna immediately returns to life. So he got shot in the foot, somehow dies, but immediately returns to life. So it's sort of like a resuscitation. And he only appears to the hunter. And then he's immediately shot off upwards, um, filling what they call the welkin, which is like the universe, with splendor. And Krishna reached his own inconceivable region, Mahabharata. These names. Is there a similarity there? Is that a parallel? It's not, is it? But some obvious differences between the resurrection of Jesus and Krishna are as follows. Jesus' resurrection defeated the power of sin and death. Mm-hmm. Krishna's resurrection had no real effect on mankind at all. Jesus appeared to approximately 500 eyewitnesses, where Krishna appeared only to one hunter. Jesus rose from the dead three days later, where Krishna immediately returned to life, more like a resuscitation. Jesus did not ascend into heaven until after giving the Great Commission. So it was like 40 days after he was resurrected. Krishna immediately ascended into the afterlife. Jesus also was aware of what was about to take place to him, where Krishna had no idea he was about to be shot by an arrow in the foot. And it says it just shot him in the foot. It didn't say it impaled him into a tree. Then also you've got to think about this. The concepts between heaven, Christian heaven, and also nirvana, which is the Hindu heaven, are two totally opposite places, aren't they? if anyone remembers the Hindu sermon. Then we have Dionysus, born of a virgin, born on December 25th, performed miracles, king of kings, Alpha and Omega. But the truth is, there are two birth accounts concerning Dionysius. Neither implies a virgin birth. One is Zeus impregnates a mortal woman, Semele, much to the jealousy of Hera. Hera convinces Semele to ask Zeus to reveal his glory to her, but because no mortal can look upon the gods and live, Semele is instantly incinerated. Zeus then takes the fetal Dionysius and sews him into his own thigh until his birth. The second view is that Dionysius is the product of Zeus and Persephone. Hera becomes insanely jealous and tries to destroy the infant by sending the Titans to kill him. Zeus comes to the rescue, but it's too late. The Titans had eaten everything but Dionysius' heart. Zeus then takes the heart and implants it into the womb of Semele. As we can see, no virgin birth takes place, but this is how Dionysus is said to have become a 
a rebirth deity as he is twice born in the womb. Concerning December 25th, there is no record of this date being significant for Dionysus. Like Addis, Dionysus is associated with the annual return of spring. The titles, King of Kings, Dionysus was only a semi-deity. Zeus was the head god according to mythology. Him being called the only begotten son, Zeus had many relationships with women where he fathered several other children. So only begotten son and King of Kings is uh, never titles that he ever had. Alpha and Omega was never a title he had. Dionysus had a distinct beginning to his existence. Lamb of God. Dionysus is associated with a bull, a serpent, wine and ivy, but never associated with a lamb. So all these titles are just ridiculous. He never had them in mythology. The resurrection account of Dionysus stems from the tale of him being reborn after his attack by the Titans at birth. As we can see, this has nothing to do with the resurrection story of Jesus. Furthermore, we are told after Dionysius completes teaching his followers his religious rites, he ascends to Mount Olympus to be with the other deities alive and well. His infant rebirth, like Attis, is symbolic of the vegetation cycle, not the atoning of sin. Then we have Mithra, who the video claims is born of a virgin, Born on the December 25th, 12 disciples, performed miracles, dead for three days, resurrected, Sunday worship. Whereas uh, the real account says that Mithra was born from rock. As far as him being born on the 25th of December, that's not true. Mithra is associated with the temple Sol Invictus, which was dedicated by Emperor Aurelian on December 25th to the god Unconquerable Sun. Many religious festivals were consolidated in the one holiday to coincide with the winter solstice. Christmas is only celebrated on December 25th due to this tradition. This argument already proves to be insignificant as there is nothing in scriptures which mentions this date of 25th December. So 25th of December is not even the true date of the birth of Christ. So who cares if Mithra was celebrated on the 25th December? So was many other gods. And the Romans got Christianity to be celebrated on that day. Twelve disciples. Mithra did not have twelve disciples. However, in two pictures, Mithra is surrounded by the twelve signs of the Zodiac. Claiming Mithras had twelve disciples because there are twelve signs of the Zodiac is the connection critics try to make. But that's not according to the way that it's accounted for in the scriptures uh, in relation to Jesus. He had real humans as disciples. Uh, Mithra's death and resurrection. Though critics claim Mithra was crucified, there is no mention of this in the reliefs or texts. In fact, no death is associated with Mithra, nevertheless crucifixion. We are told he completes his earthly mission, then is taken to paradise in a chariot, alive and well. Sunday worship, well that is correct, however almost all religions use Saturday or Sunday as holy days. 2 Peter 1.16 says, We did not follow cleverly invented stories when we told you about the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. The Apostle Peter here expresses that the eyewitnesses of the resurrection of Jesus did not follow cleverly invented stories. Actually, as we have learned from our study of the book of Colossians, the disciples were ardently opposed to any form of syncretism with other religions and belief systems. Medinger says, unlike the mystery religions, Christianity is grounded in actual historical events. Due to the fact that few parallels have been discovered to have been written after the first century, Medinger concludes that this reflects a Christian influence on pagan beliefs. As we have discovered from this Uncovering Religion series, Christianity has got astounding amounts of evidence and support for all its claims. To believe in Jesus, we must have faith and the conviction of the Holy Spirit. However, for those who need evidence, there are numerous titles and videos I could recommend they watch. Lee Strobel videos, The Case for Christ, The Case for Faith and The Case for the Creator, are excellent starting points. I have quite a few apologetic titles I could recommend if you are interested. So just send me an email if you're interested in in any books that you could read that would give you further evidence to prove that Christianity is a is based on historical facts, not fiction like these mythology legends. Further videos that you can, and other books that you can get in relation to this many Christ theory is Zeitgeist Refuted. You can watch that on YouTube. The Riddle of the Resurrection, which is a book by Menninger. 
Reinventing Jesus, a book by Komazewski, The Virgin Birth of Christ by Macon, Persia and the Bible by Yamuchi, and The Gospel and the Greeks by Nash. All excellent titles that you can read just to give you further information in relation to this. Plus, on this actual video on, on MTL Ministries, there's going to be a link there to a, a fantastic website that really does run through all of these supposed parallels and, and sets the record straight. But we're going to do a Holy Communion. I reckon what we're going to do is pass around the, the cup and the bread now if we can. Why are you doing that? Next week I'm going to be doing a sermon on eternity. The longest time you're ever going to know is eternity. Actually, it's a place which is outside of time and cannot be fathomed by our finite minds. You cannot possibly fathom eternity. How many of you have laid in your sleep, and I know I've said this before, how many of you laid in the bed, not in your sleep, because if you're asleep you won't remember it unless it's a dream, but how many of you laid on your bed and you start thinking about an endless universe that never ends? Just laid there thinking of a universe and you go out and you get in a spaceship and you travel at the speed of light and as fast as you could possibly go, faster than any fast that there is, and you travel on and on and on and on and on and on and on. In the universe, will you ever reach an end? Will there be an end? Will this spacecraft find the end of the universe? Do you know the answer? No. Oh, very good. There is no end, is there? Mm. How many of you try to get your head around that? Like I used to sit there, I remember I was only about five, six, seven years old, and I used to sit there, lie there in bed, and it used to just blow my mind. I used to just think there has to be an end. All right, you come to the end, okay? What's on the other side of the end? Just say there's an end. How would you know it would be an end? It would be like a big brick wall or something? <laughs> but if there's a big brick wall, what's on the other side of the wall? More space. So space is just that. Eternity, in one sense, is space. Forever and ever and ever. And get this as well. Whichever direction you go in, whether it's that way or that way or that way or that way or that way, no matter which way you go in space, it never ends. It goes on and on and on. And the further you get, the greater, more expansive space gets. You know what I'm saying there? Mm. Right? Just so, well, we're, we're here, right? We're in a little yeah. ball right here, and we shoot out in one direction alone. But also someone else shoots out just beside you at the closest proximity possible. Yeah. They'll shoot out just beside you. But as you shoot out, does it get wider? Because if you both shoot out from the same place, you don't stay in the same place. You shoot out and you go slightly different angles because you're going completely out, away from centre. So space expands as you go away. Does that make sense? So it becomes greater and more magnificent. It's just endless. And that's now that, in the sense of space, is also how time is in eternity. Time never ends. In eternity with Jesus, you never die. And you, and you will never, ever see an end to life. Is that amazing? Mm. Who wants to go to eternity with Jesus? And live in a beautiful paradise and never, ever, ever die. Just live and live and live and live and live. I do. All right, let's... Uh, Matthew, could you pray for us? Thank you, Father, for um, what we celebrated last weekend for what happened all those years ago. Um, I thank you for um, also all that we've learned today about you and how, um, and how Lord, your, your son, um, what happened to him is true. Mm. And what these other religions say is, is just is fallacious, it's laughable at points. Mm. So I thank you for making it true. Um, Say the cup, Lord. We do thank you for for giving this um, wonderful salvation that you've given us, Lord. 
And Lord, we know that even though they try to make these parallels to, and even they have to lie to make up a parallel uh, to line up with the wonderful salvation which and, and life that you led, led while you were here, Lord, because it is such a perfect life. Mm -hmm. So they try to make out as if all mythological legend lived the same way as you, but none of them did, Lord, and we know that as a fact. Mm -hmm. And uh, ancient history testifies to that also. So we can be sure that, Lord, there's only one Jesus who died on the cross for the sins of men and was raised to life after three days and then appeared to all the disciples, up to 500. And then, Lord, uh, after 40 days, ascended to be with the Father in heaven. And, Lord, we, we know that this is unique to Christianity and it's unique to you. And not only that, the Old Testament testifies to that. It spoke of that occurrence happening in you. And uh, you fulfilled everything the Old Testament said about you, some 300 prophecies. So, Lord, we take of this cup in remembrance of your blood that was shed for our sin. And we thank you for the wonderful salvation. Amen. Okay, and also uh, in two weeks' time, here's another crazy religion now that is sweeping the world away. Two million people are part of the Church of Oprah. Did you know that? Oprah, Oprah's church, Church of Oprah, and her New Age priest, Eckhart Tolle. Joe Schimmel said that many of you have heard of the New Age leader, Eckhart Tolle, whose 2008 book, A New Earth, Awakening to Your Life's Purpose, was highly popularized by Oprah. Tolle stated that the book's purpose was to bring about a shift in consciousness. In his earlier book, Power of Now, he speaks of the of this consciousness when he considers the Christ consciousness. Christ is your God essence or the self, as it is sometimes called in the East. The only difference between Christ and presence is that Christ refers to your indwelling divinity, regardless of whether you are conscious of it or not, whereas presence means your awakened divinity or God essence. So what they're saying is you are God, so we can be as Christ as Christ is. We can be as God as God is. What does that sound like? Yeah, Mormonism. It sounds like a Hinduism. It sounds like a lot of New Age beliefs. But the only problem with this one is it's it's sweeping the world away. Operanism. Sorry. Operanism. Operanism. <laughs> Operanism. <laughs> Tollyism. Yeah. So that's in in two weeks' time. And again, hopefully these sermons will be heard by people, and you might even bump into people that you will be preaching Tolly to you. And they'll be saying, "Oh, it, no, it's a type. It's a type of a Christian religion, but it's not. It's self God." Where did we hear that a lot, though? In, remember, we did a study on the book, The Secret. Yeah. You, you know, the universe is God, and God exists for you, and that whatever you are you want, you can whatever you can. You can will it. You can will it.